Hello, everybody, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 8 of The Dive. We're back. This is normally the time of the episode where I say I'm Jat, joined by Kobe and Azale, but that will be a lie. Kobe is out sick this week, so we have Freak. How you doing, man? It is me. I was hoping to keep it a surprise for the audio-only guests. Of course, the yeah. ones who are looking are just like, what's this bald guy doing here <laughs> next to Azale? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, I'm excited to be here. I like the dive. I'll watch it slash listen to it frequently. And nice. now I'm here. And now you're going to get to watch yourself on it. Uh, I'm not going to watch this episode back. I guarantee you. What are you going to watch instead? Uh, Hotline League or something? I don't know. Oh, okay. Like, you know, some, some other league show. More league talk shows. Yeah, another like liquid documentary about how they're imploding or something. I don't know. <laughs> oh, man. We'll have to wait until the end of the season <laughs> yeah, for true. that. They're, they're doing just fine. I actually like them. <laughs> okay. Uh, Good save. Good save. <laughs> All right. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about uh, the global oh. event announcement that just came out with MSI, Worlds, Rift Rivals all having their locations announced. We're also going to look at what the changes for 8.4 will kind of affect on pro play and some of our thoughts from playing some games on that patch. And then we're going to preview week seven of the NALCS. Yeah. As far as the global events announcement, for those of you who missed the news, uh, Midseason Invitational has been announced. The play-in group stage. Uh, which is kind of three quick or play in and group stage will all be happening in Berlin at the EULCS studio. And then the knockout stage, which is the semifinals and finals, will be at the Zenith in Paris, which I believe we've been to before back in 2014. Yeah. Rift Rivals for EUNA will be in North America this year. So I'm really happy about that because travel to Europe sucked for that little quick event. Takes a while. Uh, and then Worlds is back in South Korea again uh, with. Hi actual venue things to be announced so that's really similar to 2014 for me because back in 2014 the all-star game at the time it wasn't msi was in paris Mm -hmm. Uh, and then worlds was at least quarterfinals to finals in korea and i really love being there so Mm -hmm. i'm really happy about worlds going back to korea personally yeah, I'm, I'm actually super excited to go to Korea. I haven't been to Korea since 2010 when I was there for a WCG and then got to actually see some of the country. And it's, it's, it is really, really, I think, a unique place as far as gaming goes and how, how incorporated gaming in, in esports is into their culture is yeah. really cool. So uh, I definitely think the fans are going to be really excited. And, and I think a lot of players are going to be really excited because let's be honest, there's going to be Korean teams near the end of the mm-hmm. tournament, I don't right? Talk like, about. That, that is a bold <laughs> prediction. Is there's going to be at least a Korean, at least one Korean team in top four at Worlds this year. Yes, yeah, they've yeah. just That's been lucking insane. out the last four years. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're this in like is the, the year the luck runs out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like Magneto's winning and just like, it's all weird. Yeah, I'm going to be going to PC Bongs on my off days. You didn't, yep. uh, I mean, you've been to Korea before for yep. pro gaming events, but like that was some of the most fun I had was just, even though I didn't speak the language, just being around so many people that are just mm-hmm. grinding games in a PC yep. Bong, I, I loved it. I remember you and I do it a bunch, Jat. You were just running around playing Udyr and I was playing Jinx. We were undefeated in, in uh, Korean solo queue. We made plat. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think we, we were like in like We really played like 15, 20 Elo. games. Yeah. Yeah. Know, we won all our games. The PC Bong <laughs> culture is actually really fun. We mm-hmm. when, when I was there as well, we went with a lot of the... Like what, this was back in my WoW Pro days and everything when we were playing. And like all the WoW Pros went, we would go to PC Bongs and we were just doing mix and match teams and stuff. And like with people for like Chinese pros, Korean pros, etc. So we couldn't even speak to these people. <laughs> we're all just like, you're on our team, right? And we just like mix and match and we were playing. And it was it was super fun. It's definitely very unique and it's it's such like a big part of their culture. It was really cool. Plus it was just cool seeing uh, like a lot of the StarCraft pros and stuff were actually there practicing. So mm-hmm. uh, that was really cool as well. Uh, also, I'm going to jump back a little bit to MSI, uh, because last year was the first year that so many different regions were in MSI for the play-in stage. And do you remember how there were three teams that were auto-seated into the group stage, Yeah, mm-hmm. right? It was Korea, China, and Europe, based on like a history of international success. 
So this totally flew under the radar. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when Vietnam became their own region, yep, that then puts them into that same qualification pool. But the other playing groups that were four teams and four teams, right? Because you're adding one region to this tournament. Yep. Mm-hmm. So how do you add one region to the tournament without breaking everything? And it's by preceding four teams in the group stage, not three. So North America no longer has to play in the play-in. <laughs> <laughs> the real reason that Vietnam is now major totally region, flew we all radar. figured it out. <laughs> yeah, I realized it the hey, other day. top eight, all right? They deserve it. <laughs> when I was talking to some people in the forum, because what happened is, what used to happen is yeah, you'd I have I haven't even heard a peep of that. You'd, exactly. Yeah, you had same. the two winners of the play-in groups, what happened last time. Mm-hmm. One winner would play, like last year, one winner played the LMS, one winner played NA. Mm-hmm. The winners seated in, and then you had an extra best of five that was a loser's match. So who are the four again? Just so, to be totally clear, who are the four that were? EU, NA, NA, Korea, okay. and China. Okay. Because, All the worlds, basically. Because yeah, okay. LMS is fifth, I yeah. think, mm-hmm. and Vietnam is now sixth. That makes sense. So then, essentially, seven through the rest of them go into the playing groups. Yeah. And they basically removed that loser's match best of five. Because um, yeah. they, they, otherwise, you'd have nine teams and groups, yeah, and there's not yeah. a good way to, to do it. So, congrats, NA. You did it. You <laughs> yeah. made it out of play-in again. <laughs> I was crazy, gonna, right? I was going to laugh if there was some way that it somehow, like, ended up the four teams, Vietnam gets one, and NA gets one, and then EU still has to play in, and, like, how incredibly salty everyone would have been if that was the yeah. case. I'm taking us to five games, be like, you go back to the play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's... It's definitely going to be interesting because it also, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but it also means that, so in the previous system, Vietnam could theoretically have two teams that, that make it in, right? Two worlds. That was worlds. Yes, two yeah. worlds. And now in this system, they can only have the one because they they have the one preceded, but my understanding was that they could not then qualify in through the, like, other route as well, like, a, as mm. as a lot of the other emerging regions could. So hmm. that was my understanding, and I'm not sure if that's if that's totally correct, Yeah. Um, but... It, it's it is interesting because it, it does guarantee them a spot, but it seemed like potentially they they lose out on one because they're clearly kind of the strongest emerging region, right? right? Um, but it does guarantee that we would get representation from another region then too. Yeah. So it'll, before, it'll be before we to see it all pans get out. two in the weeds, since none of us are super clear on the, yeah. the world. Yeah, worlds is a long ways off. We'll, we'll touch sure. in on that when it happens. I just wanted to let everyone know that and it qualified boys. And a major region again, <laughs> baby. Let's go. <laughs> We're back in. Yeah. And <laughs> it is it is not just like they gifted to NA. They actually looked at whatever formula yeah. they used to previously determine the top three. Mm. They yeah. did, and NA is actually the fourth they have better world yeah. results in the lms that's uh, true over the long that's term. definitely true <laughs> um, Which region has the most freedom <laughs> <laughs> yeah. south korea by a lot apparently yeah. like. which team is the most na <laughs> yeah. oh, okay. i mean if we're talking about who's free na is definitely up yeah, there. yeah like, let's definitely, be real. Definitely free. Uh, speaking of global events if anyone's been following Captain Flowers' Twitter, mm-hmm. yep. he got a thousand retweets when he said he'd cast someone's. Was it Bronze Soul? No, the, bronze, some, the, the Bronze, bronze player got a thousand retweets. Yeah. So, yeah. so this guy DM'd Flowers and was like, How many retweets cast my game, Flowers? And Flowers was like, A thousand, bro. And, <laughs> uh, and then he actually got a thousand. <laughs> and he got it. <laughs> and, uh, so now Flowers is going to be casting it. Uh, so I, I think it's going to be very funny. I actually uh, I offered to cast it with flowers because I, I think that kind of stuff is hilarious and really, really fun. Uh, I'm actually really looking forward to it. I don't even know if flowers yeah, wants someone it's flower, to cast it with Technically, him. it's flowers' choice if he wants Exactly. To I don't even know if I'm going to be casting with him. it's his time to talk. Him, or... <laughs> he, might, he might just want to do a solo cast. Uh, but that stuff yeah. is, is actually really fun. I'm actually uh, really looking forward to, to watching or participating. It's yeah. like... 
I think this, be, those community things are fun. I, I agree. It'll be fun for Flowers too because it'll be like it'll mark like a little bit more than a year since he was back in his bedroom casting games like <laughs> as a hobbyist, right? Yeah. Like it's always fun like having that transition where you're like, oh yeah, I loaded up the Winamp Shoutcast like plugin and cast in my room, and then now I'm like a, a real Shoutcaster. Come full back to circle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's definitely cool. And back in uh, when I was streaming a lot, I used to do like. Uh, I'd cast viewers' games for a while and stuff like that, and, and things like that. That stuff can be can be pretty funny, and especially if if you're trying to like you know analyze slash break down so like a bronze game. Ooh, it would yeah, be yeah. it can be pretty funny. Sweet. Ooh, so see if that uh, death cap goes on vain. Mm, <laughs> wow. Check out Captain Flowers' Twitter for details on that. Yep. He hasn't said a time yet, but At it's probably Flowers. sometime next week. It used to be Captain Flowers two. Now it's just he Captain Flowers. Two. He killed the original killed Captain Flowers original and thus became him. <laughs> Okay, it's time to move on to the meta discussion yep. in this episode. So we had an entire episode dedicated to 8.4 last week where we had a designer on. We talked yep. about mm-hmm. the changes. This week, it is going to be hitting pro play for the EU and the NALCS, mm-hmm. as well as the Academy League. And we're going to try and talk a little bit about exactly how it impacts pro play. Yeah. And I want to start with a bold prediction you that can start. is going to make the designers really sad. Uh, I think Eye of the Watchers is the Osmo starting item on every mid laner in the game. That's the that is the blue sightstone. Yeah, frostfang yeah. upgrade into sightstone. Uh, basically, I don't think it's even necessarily because of the tracker's knife changes, although I think that it's an exacerbating factor. But even in like eight point two in China, and like mm-hmm. I saw it uh, a couple nights ago in eight point three, uh, a freak is mid laner ran it um, when he was playing Malzahar. Uh, basically, the item just is really good. It's just very efficient because a Frostfang just is a fiendish codex with man region on it. Mm. And then it's roughly gold efficient to turn it into Eye of the Watchers, which then turns off the tribute, like, turning off. So tribute's yep. always on. Right. So it's like just a gold efficient AP CDR health item that gives, that you, gives you tribute gold. When do you get size Uh So a support combines it around nine minutes, okay. considering that you're going to be lasting minions and stuff. Frostfang yeah. turns off for longer. But, like, it's probably still, like, 10 to 12 minutes for a mid laner. I think that's maybe a bit ambitious, at least a lot, a lot of my like, like solo queue games. I see a lot of supports finishing still around 10 to 12 minutes, depending okay. on how they're doing. So then maybe it is later, right? Like, yeah. I, I, you're not going to be able to tell but you it's, very But it's still, it's still like just yeah. efficient, right? And, yeah. and then you're getting vision and everything right. like it's that. It's efficient, and then it's a gold generation item, and then it gives you wards, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Old Heart of Gold was bought by every tank ever, and then you just like played League of Legends from there. And I think this is Heart of Gold for mid lane, basically. And it turns into a sightstone, so... Um, my, my bold prediction, since, since there's not going to be any major changes, it seems, to gold generation items until 8.6, is by the end of, like, NA and EU playoffs and all that, you're just going to see it in everyone. Like, mm. teams will tick up to it. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but that's my mm-hmm. bold prediction for the itemization. I think it depends on how quickly the Sightstone turns on. Like, if it's... Sure. And, and this this will be... Uh, unless you have more to say on the Sightstone stuff. Yeah, I kind of do. I'm, okay. I'm interested okay. about it because I, I do think... So, while I agree as far as, like, you know, if you're looking at the the entire picture of the game right and it's like a 30 minute game Mm -hmm. throughout time it's going to be it's going to make up for itself as far as like it's going to pay a lot of gold and then you're going to have this vision later on Mm -hmm. but i actually think that there's like seraphs is just so broken uh in my opinion and and some of these these other items are so friggin' strong that even though that item is incredibly gold efficient and vision is really good if i build eye of the watchers and they have a completed seraph and i have like eye of the watchers and my tier or whatever then then can i actually fight and that is my kind of only question as as to whether it should be like i think it it should see play and i do think it makes a lot of sense but will it be every single game i don't think so because i think that if you're playing against a rise or a casio and they're on Seraphs, I just think you cannot contest that person. Like, I actually just think Seraphs is insanely broken on champions that already built it. That's um, 
and Ludens is is insanely good on on all the poke champions that already built it too. Like if you want to bring in a Velkaz or something like that. So like that point of power uh, is is definitely like a, a weakness. But at the same time, you know, you can make the argument that oh well, Red Sight made you stronger in trackers before, but you can use the vision to avoid fights and right. these sorts mm-hmm. of things. And then it becomes becomes more of an option, which mm-hmm. at which point I'm okay with it. Agreed. I just don't think it's going to be mandatory, okay. and I, I certainly hope it is not mandatory. Yeah. Right, and here's here's where I uh, chime in on it. I think that Baron Buff uh, changes this equation a little bit. Okay. Because I think in the 8.3, 8.2 meta, if Tracker's Knife is removed with how long games are going, mm-hmm. you absolutely need that vision control for the late game, and you're willing to sack some pressure in lane Unless we don't think you sack any pressure at all going sure. Frostfang into that, yeah. which I if think it ends you do. Up being true. Like yeah, sure. especially in some of the mid lane games I played where I was trying that strategy, mm-hmm. I did feel noticeably weaker. Like you okay. can bypass the laning phase a little bit by shoving, yeah. but you're weaker. So a uh, couple of things with the new Baron buff. Mm-hmm. So you get forty AP from it that you didn't used to get at twenty minutes when you get Baron, which is immediately making it a better stat bonus. Yeah. And it's twenty more ability power because it goes from twenty to forty at the twenty minute mark, right? Yeah. Is that accurate? Um, yeah, I'm exactly. So, yeah. so at 20 minutes is 24 attack damage and 40 ability power. 40, and by like 40 minutes, it doubles. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So it doubles up over 20 minutes, which is larger than it used to be mm-hmm. pretty much in all stages. Yep, that's true. Um, also, caster minions take 50% less damage from champions. Yep. In general, they're harder to clear. Really meaningful. And the most meaningful thing, in my opinion, is fixing a bug where bonus attack damage wasn't affecting empowered siege minions which is twice as impactful as it sounds since empowered siege minions deal double damage to turrets. Mm-hmm. Yep. So what this means, uh, and I've been testing this, and I wonder if there's going to be any pro teams that try this. If you build Banner of Command and put it on an empowered siege minion, it does 500 damage per hit to a turret, and it hits every two seconds, and is immune to magic damage, by the way. Yep. So it can 100 to 0 a turret in 16 seconds, if no one by else itself. is hitting it, by itself, because yeah. turrets have 3,600 health. Mm-hmm. Um, there are situations, if you're really good as well, where you can actually get two siege minions in the same wave, and if you then had two banners, the minions themselves would kill the turret in eight seconds. Yeah. So essentially what this means is, if a team gets Baron and a banner, they just walk that minion to a turret and if the other team doesn't hard engage to draw minion aggro away from the turret or kill the team, they lose their entire base. Like, it actually doesn't take very long. It's a minute-long push, and your Nexus turret is down. Yep. Um, so I think that's super busted, mm-hmm. first, first really and foremost. Yeah. And then, I guess, the, the kind of the discussion I want to have is, A, do you guys think it's busted? And then, B, if the push is that easy, which I think it is, what does that actually do to the game? Mm-hmm. Because I'm, if I'm an analyst right now, I'm telling my team, what is the biggest advantage we can get at 20 minutes so we can get the first Baron? Because I feel like once we get the first Baron and Banner, if we have a five to 10,000 gold lead, there is no way we lose. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. over. So, Caitlin, Jana, what is your like, bottom lane? You're trying to do the triple turret snowball. Do you do Ken and Top? Do you do Nidalee Jungle? Yep. Like, you just try and get a 5,000 gold lead so you can get a 20-minute Baron. And then you win the damn game. Sure. Like... Do you guys think that can... I think that can actually be a dominant strategy, which is why I don't think you build track or Sightstone in mid lane mid, because right. you sack too much pressure in mid lane then sure. Baron's gone and the game is over. Yeah. So uh, I guess I'll jump in first. Uh, I agree with your logic, by the way, that if that is a dominant strategy, Sightstone is a purely dominated option, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. 
um, and that yes, you should probably build this way. Uh, I like the idea, like, and and I love strategic innovation. Like that yeah. was always my thing when I was like better for Warcraft three player and stuff. Is like I love trying new things and being ah, oh, I do this and you don't. Mm-hmm. So I would love if that was a strategy. Right. I would hate if the game is over at twenty three minutes every single time and yeah. it's over at the Baron team fight and then just you FF go next. You build the banner and go. Right. Um, yeah, I think banner first item being a competitive option is cool. Uh, I want to chime in one other small thing as far as like patch notes are concerned. Like mm-hmm. uh, before that change ever came in, like, let's say six patches ago, uh, one of the designers um, slightly lowered the or increased the radius for backdoor bonus to turn off so that cannons would turn off backdoor bonus by themselves. Because they used to shoot against backdoor bonus. Like mm, when they were this out point of last year, they did one quarter damage, right? Right. And then, and then that got shortened to, okay, now the cannons are doing their intended minion damage to turrets mm-hmm. uh, in, you know, seven point whatever. And so that happened a little while ago. And then, of course, this thing where, uh, yeah, a, a banner of commanded Baron minion is doing like 3.5x the damage it used to be doing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. Because of the bug fix. Yeah, we played a solo queue game. I was playing with Flowers and Zyrene. Uh, it was gold even at 20 minutes. We snuck Baron. We won in 24 minutes. Yeah, because we just yep. bannered a minion and one on the pool. Yeah, I ha- I have not like felt super felt the effects of Baron. I felt that it was more powerful. Like I haven't really done, messed around with much mm-hmm. uh, Banner plus Baron stuff. Yeah. Um, but in in my games that I've been playing, Baron has felt like uh, it's pretty snowbally. The game feels faster, but it wasn't yep. like that extreme, and we weren't playing as heavily around it because there still is obviously a lot of power and like you know bannering. Uh, sorry, not bannering, but like Baron buffing three waves, and then you sure. have, you have a cannon sure. all, in all three lanes and things like that. And without Banner, the cannon still does 240 damage a hit, so still which ton. would actually 100 to zero turret in 30 seconds. Yeah. So yeah. it's still viable with with or without Banner. Yep. Just but I, as a note, I definitely think that. It is a. It's super viable to build Banner of Command. Like Banner of Command, I, like this is something I was talking about before I even saw these changes and last mm-hmm. patch and in the past. It's something that I think should be built more often. I actually just think it's an underrated item, mm-hmm. um, especially when we are seeing a lot of Vladimir top. I'm like, Jesus, why? Why does no one build Banner? It's so hard for a champion like Vladimir to actually deal with. As far as like, it builds you an incredible amount of side lane pressure. It is magic immune, as as you said, and the item itself is actually very stat efficient. When you compare it yeah. to Locket. You, you're obviously disregarding, like, when you're not looking at the actives, right? Mm-hmm. The, people are going to place different amounts of value on the actives. Locket has its active. Banner has its active. But as far as actual stats, the items cost the same. Locket has 30 armor and 60 MR, and Banner has 60 MR, 10% CDR, 30 MR, 125% base uh, HP regen, and point runner, which is 20% move speed when you're near, uh, like, fallen turrets or, or Zerat yep. portals, etc. right? Like, yep. it just has massively way more stats. Mm-hmm. So, unless you think the locket active is like infinitely better sure and people this is think that yeah um but i mean like in in situationally i i do think that this makes a lot of sense especially games where you're seeing uh there's like a lot of games where you see double locket actually mm-hmm. like, yeah you, know, you see locket on brahm you see a locket on zach and stuff mm-hmm. like that like it's very easy for one of those to be a banner in my yep. opinion and to to use this kind of strategy and to the question of if i think that like a 20 like a 20 minute baron or like a, just a strategy centered completely around baron mm-hmm. is possible i do i'm not sure if it's better to do the like full on all in type you know like oh we do the nidalee we do the corky mm-hmm. we do the this and we do that or if it's better to just play something that's just really good at taking baron right like play yeah. something that's maybe a bit more moderate but has tanks that can do it like is it, it does it not make Nunu just incredibly good, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I was watching uh, Faker stream, and he was playing Azir. Him and a Nunu took a 20-minute Baron, and I want to say under 10 seconds. Right. Two-man, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, sounds right. And, and Azir is already ridiculously good. Nunu 
saw some play, right? Yeah. Does that does it not just make something like that even better? Because it's like it is a more risky strategy if you play the Nidalee and then whatever and, and these sorts of things, especially if yeah. you're not as practiced. You could basically just play the same thing as you as you were playing. And like Calista has been nerfed, but I mean Azira mm-hmm. is basically incredible already. Uh, Nunu, like just like some small changes, you can just try to randomly sneak a Baron anywhere yep. between 20 and 25 minutes. And then if that banner strategy works as well as you think then yep. you just win the game, right? And, and I do yep. think that that is somewhat viable, and that is one of the things that I was somewhat concerned about people playing around when we talked about it last week, mm-hmm. is um, if there become strategies that are risk-averse to the point where it's just like, I give up everything until Baron, because if I right. get Baron, then I win kind of thing. And, yeah. and that's like, okay, no, I, I don't know. give up everything and then that's, also get the Baron. Yeah, yeah but I just mean as far as dragons, right? Like, if, sure, you're, sure, only, yeah. if you're just going to, like, ward defensively, Try to f- clear waves, never try to fight, and then 20 minutes to go for the Baron. That's boring to watch. Yeah, right? and, and, and I that's hope the that's thing of uh, what does it do to the game if this is true? And I know we're getting kind of down like assumption territory because right. I watched Hyelo solo queue. No one is building banner. Yep. I don't necessarily know if there are pro teams that have tried this in scrims and are hiding it because you don't actually want, if, if it's going to be dominant, you're going to want to pick up a few games with it. Yeah. I think it should be mm-hmm. personally. Yeah. I think it should be tried. Um, and I think, it, yeah, my instinct also was that it probably should be on the LCS stage this weekend. Yeah. But I don't have the current knowledge of matchups to know what the best way to go about it is because I don't think you can be like, let's just pick a team fighting team and go even until 20 minutes because I think you fall too far behind. Yeah. But if there's teams that aren't doing the super early game stuff and you can be close to goal neutral, then like your team composition doesn't change that much. It's just your priority in the game does. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's kind of what I'm interested in because right now we look at the meta, all those champs are lane dominant, right? Like we see Varus, that wins lane. We yep. see Azir, that wins lane. We see Ryze, that wins lane. Yep. So maybe the team comps don't change that much, but if... Uh, one person sneaks a banner and games end really fast. Well, I can promise you, Jack, in 8.4, we will see zero Rise games. He will be first banned red side every single game. That champion gained like 7% solo queue win rate. Mm-hmm. And if Rise is at 47 in solo queue, you know he's like 99% yeah. win rate in pro play. And he's like 40 in, in solo queue. Yeah, People are still, still like, picked every game. Pick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, to go to go back to the actual changes to the game and, and yeah. kind of out of some of the theoretics, uh, yeah, AP item overhauls in 8.4. Yep. Uh, now that we've all got to play the game for about a week at this point, uh, every Archangels user got a whole lot better. Rise is a good mm-hmm. example. Cassipi is a good example. Like all those champions got much stronger. Casted gained some win rate. Like you know, anyone who actually liked having seven thousand mana was was really really happy about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think Ludens was a pretty good buff as well. I think GLP is the only one that missed the mark as far as actually being a little bit weak. Yeah. Um, and so uh, yeah, I think I think anyone who already built tier got a straight buff. If people want to convert to tier, it's not actually that much better because the item is not like intrinsically much better than Merlinomicon, old Merlos. Mm-hmm. And everyone who liked building Ludens in their build got a small buff because that is better than their old Merlos. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty much on, uh, like in the camp of yeah, tier and poke. Like yeah. if you if you yeah. do those things in mid lane, you're better now. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, especially champions that are like tier Roa. I mean, Zillion and Nivia are the two highest win rate champions. Yeah, they both build to tier be fair, Roa. They were before. Like, uh, were or they number one and two? I know they were both high, yeah. but like Cassio, Cassio went yeah. up, yeah. Uh, Rise went way up. Mm-hmm. Like all those champions, and and those are champions that like I consider, especially you know Cassio and Rise and things like that. I consider to be pretty high skill cap champions, and like champions that perform uh, disproportionately more more powerful or better, or whatever yeah, you want to say, in pro play. Um, Velkaz is an interesting one to me because I think like Velkaz being able to rush Ludens is actually a really big buff for that champion. Mm-hmm. Uh, his burst was already really crazy and now he doesn't have to actually go like build a Morello and then do this sort of thing yeah. or build a Ludens and have no mana. Like 
the champions like that seem incredibly strong. Um, I've even been seeing like a fair bit of like fizz with uh, like Luden's Rush and things like this, where mm. it's it seems pretty strong. So yeah, yeah. Um, it, it'll be interesting. Uh, I mean, I definitely think Rise is, is going to be like first pick, first ban. And there's some yep. of those champions that are just going to move up in priority. But as far as actually how it changes the game. I don't really think that mid lane looks like overall that different. I think it looks less different than I was expecting it to. You know, mm -hmm. having played a number of games, it generally feels pretty similar right. to like, me. The outputs feel similar, even if the way you're getting there is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. yeah. And like that seemed to be the goal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it it worked in that sense. Uh, I'm I am curious how. Oh man, I forgot the name of the item. It's the charge up AP item that has uh, soul on demand spellbinder. Spellbinder. That's I've yeah. literally never seen someone build it. No. What? what I built it and felt great. I it's put a cast all the time. So I've been spectating a lot of high elo challenger games. It's someone is building it every game. Yeah. Uh, whether it's Vladimir, whether it's an Evelyn, whether it's like Ari, because I'm actually thinking the on-demand movement speed is yeah. what's most valuable. Mm -hmm. It's not about like, hey, I, I do twenty percent more damage for four seconds. It's like, you oh yeah, this is a low cooldown mini ghost. Yeah. And that gets me in and out of so many crucial situations. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I mean, I, I'm, I'm just wasn't. I was just talking specifically about like my games. I've not really <laughs> sure, seen sure. anyone build it. Um, and I guess it's one of those things that maybe people, like myself included, aren't sure in which cases it actually makes sense exactly. to build, right? Mm -hmm. And and maybe once you see that more, people will, it will become a more common item. Yep. But it's interesting because uh, the thing I would tag onto that is like I haven't been seeing people build it, but I have. I look. I love looking at lawlytics and looking mm -hmm. at item stats mm -hmm. and things. On almost every champion, I see this as as one of the winning items, like the mm -hmm. highest win rate items, yeah. with a very low build rate, right? Yep. Yeah. And and I'm I'm never quite sure with that. It's hard to know. Oh well, do people just not know about it? and It's really good, or is mm -hmm. it? Oh, it's really good in this situation, and when you build it, then you have a high chance to win, yeah. right? I think people are going to build it when they're snowballing. Mm -hmm. For one, uh, you're not going to get to that. You're not going to rush that item often. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're usually rushing your lost chapter item. Mm -hmm. Um. Then, like, that's that's when you start to deviate. You either see the Oblivion Orb, which is the old haunting guys. Yep. Uh, and I also think we're seeing less death cap than we should. Agreed. I was talking to someone else about this. Uh, I think potentially on a lot of mages, third item should be death cap instead of void staff. Yes, uh, yeah. Just with the Completely. way a lot of the breakpoints are working and void staff should move. And void staff got nerfed. And exactly. Yeah, got buffed. nerfed. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's Riley's got buffed too. 40% AP. And there's so many champions that, uh, yeah, Riley's Leandries is one that you can do on some of the tankier champions. There are a lot of different ways you can get there. And I think potentially Spellbinder is built in the win more scenario. It's when you're not really worried about your super late game scaling with death cap. Mm -hmm. It's when you're not really worried about shredding tanks. And then you just get to win. Or there's a chance that the 10% move speed and the on-demand move speed is just busted. Yeah. Move speed's always been an underrated stat in League of Legends. Mm -hmm. I had an 1100 AP Cassipia game with no buffs other than Blue Elixir. I was just wow. playing Cassiopeia, Spellbinder, <laughs> Deathcab, Leandries was like, oh my god, I do like 9,000. You had Leandries? In yeah, yeah, because I mean, there's huh. no boots, right? So it's, it's like true six items. So I, yeah. I was like Roa into Seraphs, into Deathcap, into Leandries, into Rileys, into Spellbinders, or Blue Lichter. No Void Staff in a six-item build? They didn't, have, they didn't have enough big tanks. Uh, and Leandries yeah. is probably like a percent damage amp anyway, yeah, yeah. and I'm like dueling in Azir. Like, yeah. I'm not going to build a Void Staff against his Azir yeah, yeah. two-shotting me, so... Shouldn't Morellonomicon be better than a Leandries in that situation? Uh, maybe it was like... I mean, it was just kind of making choices. Part mm -hmm. of it because I was yeah. going Riley's Leandries, and I was like having to kite like a Shivana or something, and it was just like a mix of all the above. I mean, it's maybe pretty, it wasn't pretty optimal, pretty but without Baron, it was 1100 AP, right? Just like, yeah. okay, <laughs> playing League of Legends. <laughs> yeah. I'm <Yeah>. Vagar. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's pretty interesting. I think uh, another champion that sh should be in pro play, I'll be surprised if it is not, is, is Volibear. I actually think Volibear Ooh, is, yeah. right. is insanely strong. And, <laughs> and yes, Volibear is a very 
one-dimensional binary champion, mm-hmm. but so is Skarner. And mm-hmm. yep. so is, like, you know, a lot of the tanks that we've been seeing in the jungle. And Volibear, I think, is insanely strong mm. right now. Like, I think that uh, this champion has, like, a lot more potential with the new E. Like, that is the biggest thing to me oh, by yeah. far. Yes, the Q move speed increases nice, and, and he already had, like, a lot of stats and blah, blah, blah. He could be pretty good in mid-game fights. But the amount of of outplayability and the amount of just like added power to the kit with the E even if you don't use it that well is so incredible and yeah. for pro play you're expecting to use it more effectively right like you can knock Zach out of his jump every single time with the yep. E you can like I was playing against a Rengar I was knocking the Rengar out of his ultimate with <laughs> yeah. this thing and it's like he's completely screwed right like there's exactly. Jax Camille like all these sorts of champions that are played a lot even Sejuani queuing forward like you know Alistar going for a combo there's instant so cast. many champions it's yeah. instant cast and it's there's no tr- like travel time it just seems to at least not that I can see it nope. just seems yeah, to like just instantly done. you're knocked back in that area um, it's really strong. You yeah. can even, and you can flip people and knock them back further in your team. Like, mm-hmm. he's just yeah. really good. Yeah. Right. And I'd say the added thing to this is kind of the last uh, big change of how it impacts pro play is the tracker's knife removal. I know we mm-hmm. touched on it a little bit at the start. Right. But the champions that would have been reliant on chilling smite or challenging smite, like Volibear, because I think yep. you need blue smite on Volibear, no longer pay the opportunity cost of not going trackers. Yeah. which inherently buffs those champions substantially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's just a, a little tweak, right? Like even Rek'Sai, I think, goes way up for a number of reasons because A, people used to go Chilling Smite Sightstone on Rek'Sai even yeah, when Trackers was in the game because you Chilling Smite is just amazing on him, right? Yeah. If you're not right next sure. to someone on Rek'Sai, you're useless. Yeah. Her. Sorry. <laughs> Pedantic. That is going to happen for my entire life. Like I just cannot <laughs> associate Rek'Sai as being female. I'm sorry. That's fine. Uh, but uh, with that, and he also has the added vision from Trevor Sense. Yeah, that, that was a point that uh, <laughs> Zyrene brought up to me that yeah. I, I hadn't really put a lot of thought into. You know, he was just talking about he his play style was always that of a tracker's knife right. jungler, and yeah. and he wanted to be the vision guy, and he was unhappy about these changes because of that, which makes sense. It kind of hurt his play style. Yeah. He felt, sure, yeah. but then he was saying, "But your favorite hey. champion is buffed." Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he, he really likes Rexai, and and he was saying that it's cool because I like I was like, "Yeah, Rexai's better because you can take Chilling Smite." That makes sense. But he was saying, "Well, no, it's like that. He's the vision guy now playing Rexai, yeah. right?" Like yeah. he was saying that I can provide this vision with Trevor Sense for my team that no one else can do. So he was looking at it as. Uh, a unique buff to the champion, specifically because of the vision differential. And his play style too, right? like a really happy bit of kismet. Yeah, because it's a whole idea that you will not have a tracker's ward trinket there, so you won't be able to see them, and they won't be able to see you. But then the tremor makes a bigger difference, right? Like yeah. if everything is warded with tracker's knife, then the tremor sense doesn't really matter because you see them anyway. So yeah. it's kind of more uniquely powerful, which I hadn't really thought about, and that's mm-hmm. kind of cool. Um, I, I found it kind of funny that uh, Nunu's win rate was still like so high. Uh, or actually, maybe even went up a little bit. Yeah, like he's he's at fifty three point six on eight point four. Yeah, uh, and everyone's like, you have to build Tracker's knife on Nunu. Tra- like everyone's just rushing red smite on he's Nunu, nasty just fighting, just you. walking <laughs> around and slapping you. Dude, with, he does so much damage with red smite. You can't get away. Yeah, yeah exactly. He just runs you down, and you're like, oh, he hit, hit me for forty. That's cute, right? And then you're like, you're burning. Wait, <laughs> he's still full health. Wait, I can't run away. Oh God. So it, it's definitely interesting to mm. see how it's actually affected some of these champs. Um, mm-hmm. Even Skarner. I mean, Skarner, Blue Smite, I think is incredibly strong uh, to be able to catch up. Like that actually gives you a lot more early ganking power. Skarner mm-hmm. was already meta. So it's going to be pretty cool. I really hope that pros are actually putting time in to figuring this new stuff out mm-hmm. and that it's not just 
we see literally an 8.3 game copy pasted into 8.4 with yep. new items. Right. And that's going to be a struggle. And I don't want to be too harsh on them like too quickly. I do want to be because too harsh on them. Because <laughs> they've had literally one week. Yeah. Yep. Um, it is almost irresponsible of the players to spam 8.4 when it comes out, when they play four days later on 8.3 for pro play. Yep. So sure. I know Avali was asking a ton of 8.4 questions to all the people she was interviewing. It's like, mm-hmm. what do you think this will do? And almost every single one of the answers started with, well, I haven't really looked at it yet because, yep. right? And then they'd have like their first theory. Um, that's why Challenger Solo Queue was super active on Monday. Like I saw almost every pro player in every high elo solo queue game. And then scrims the last of the week are going to be super productive, but yeah. that's literally four days of scrims to like try out the banner strategy. But right? that's that's where I, good. That's where I target your analyst and oh, yeah. maybe even your academy team, yeah. right? Like uh, I have heard a lot of a lot of co- approaches, uh, sorry, pros and coaches mm-hmm. uh, talking about the fact that they are utilizing their academy teams in some ways. Like, okay, we think. Udyr Top might be pretty good. Try it out, right? And they're <laughs> yep. they're having them play it in their scrims. They're having them try it in their solo queue, and they're using it as like you know a, a six man type of that's thing really who smart. can test things out. Yeah, I agree. And I think that is really smart. And that's where eight point four comes out. Your LCS team, yes, they have to fully focus on eight point three because they must make playoffs for the org as a whole. That's mm-hmm. a bigger focus, but. Maybe your academy team should be spamming all these changes, and your analysts should for sure be grinding on this, perhaps in combination with your academy team, so that when Jensen here, who has played his three days of games, you just, I just tell you, Jensen, this is what you build, this is how you do it, and and if you have a good system, if you have a good analyst, if you have like you know Golden Glue or whoever is the, I think he's the academy mid laner. If there's (laughs) trust there, then he's like, okay, great. Golden Glue says build this. I trust him. This is what is good. This is Mm -hmm. what I was, I will do. And now your team has an advantage. And that's how I think it should work. I don't know if if teams are actually doing that. But yeah, it's it's not just about the pro. It's about the organization as a whole. Yeah. What do you think about? And this is something I should definitely talk to the academy people about. Mm -hmm. What if we? took away the two-week gap on Academy patches. Oh, right? geez, like, Academy Academy's on the, on patch the same patch one. as LCS. What if we just made, it's like, 8.4 come out on Wednesday, Academy's on Thursday, you're playing on the new patch, boys. It'd be interesting. I mean, I, I think from purely from my own spectator point of view, that would make me more interested in Academy and yeah. probably bring more people into watching Academy because they would want to see the, the new stuff on the new patch and, mm-hmm. and kind of find out. I also think... In a world where teams are utilizing their academy team to try out new changes anyway, that's probably better for the players. Mm -hmm. But as far as competitive integrity of academy and those players wanting the most competitive possible experience and an experience as similar as possible to LCS, then that does hurt that a bit. But it's it's weighing pros and cons. And if if you're putting me on a delayed patch but my team is saying, no, go play 8.4 because we we care more about you figuring that out for LCS team anyway— then does yeah. it really matter? I don't know. Sure. Uh, Freak, do you have anything else to hit on um, on 8.4 before we move on to NALCS? Yes, I had a... Th- oh, uh, it was two thoughts about um, playing on 8.4. Uh, I was in the NALCS lounge, and it was... Uh, it was a couple of junglers, Medios and someone else, I forget who, were like, they'd already played like a Fiddlesticks game or two. Mm-hmm. Like, And this is like during the LCS week, right? And like, oh yeah, you know, we're going to figure out whatever. But then also like, there's a couple of LCS teams to know, like play as many as a quarter of their scrims against their academy team, mm-hmm. right? There's nine other LCS teams to play against, but a quarter of their scrims are against the academy team. Um, and like in some cases it's like better practice than most of the scrims otherwise so like there's some teams who really do hit this really hard who like mm. think they have a really good handle what the academy team is for and they're using it what they think to their fullest and I think there are some teams who aren't quite sure mm. if their academy team is worth it and we might actually see that pay off in this week one last little tag on have either of you seen the second elder in any of your games no the uh, game no. is always I haven't played over. a 44 yep. minute game yet same have you even seen it on a stream 
I have had one game. I've probably played 10 or 15 games. I've had one game go over 35 minutes. Yeah. I have had one game where two elders died, but we each got one, and then we won on the okay. second. On, yeah. like, the second elder, our first. Okay. I've not even seen that. And obviously, pro play is generally much slower than solo queue sure. anyway, but I'll be interested to see... Is the game just faster enough now that those changes didn't even matter? And mm-hmm. and and if that's the case, then that's fine. Because hey, it's yeah. good to have like an end date on the game. Yeah, yeah. I actually like the clamp. Like yeah. I like the like if you're winning and they're turtling, it's a forty-five minute clamp. Yeah. You get elder two and you can just win. Because yeah, everyone's max lot. items by that point anyway. Like mm-hmm. if the, yeah, that's, that's true. That's I think the one thing that broke the old solo the old pro game is when baron and elder weren't powerful enough that you could hold until six items and invalidate the first 50 minutes of the game Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways yeah and having omega elder (laughs) yeah doesn't allow you to invalidate that and it usually hits right before you'd be hitting six items as Mm -hmm. well so not only uh do you have the super end game but also the fight that will decide the super end game still has item mismatches if one team Mm -hmm. is winning so i think it's super positive and in a world where a game goes 60 minutes then hopefully it's very unique and it actually is a lot of back and forth fights and it's exciting Anyway, I think we can move on to yeah, NALCS yep. and uh, kind of the focus here. We're trying to figure out how good are some of these teams, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you were talking about Jack. You know, there's kind of like the clear top two. Yep. There's the clear seven to ten, uh, yeah. f- three to six. Who knows? Like, who is kind of yeah. in here? Because this is what's actually happened with the standings. We have Echo Fox in first, Cloud9 one game behind them in second. Mm-hmm. And then there are four teams that are either seven and five or six and six. Uh, Clutch Gaming, 100 Thieves, Team Liquid, and TSM. And then there's a two-game drop-off before FlyQuest at four wins and then the CLG Golden Guardians tier at three wins. Yeah. So, like, yes, there is a chance that those packs move, Yep. but we think that it's probably fairly likely they stay in those packs, mm-hmm. and therefore the most interesting pack of teams to talk about is three to six. Yeah. Yep. Clutch, 100 Thieves, Liquid, and TSM. So we thought it would be pretty fun to try and say, of this group, who is the best who is likely to be sixth? Yeah, it's, it is going to be really interesting. Um, the one, the one caveat I will give is I think that TSM, if if they like if they lose to FlyQuest, that gets a bit more interesting because they actually are playing, and TSM has to play TL and C9 still, right? So there's definitely yep. possibility uh, for them to pick up some more losses. But mm-hmm. uh, disregarding that, it's it's really hard to actually tell just how good some of these teams are. I mean, I. I'm still of the opinion, based on discussions with pros and the interviews even people are talking about and coaches and everything, that TSM is like going to be on an upward climb. Um, you know, Adrian even in his interview said TSM is their major competition. That's the first place team saying that the mm-hmm. team that's six and six is the one they have to worry about, not the team yeah. that's nine and three. We just look at the two games they played against Echo Fox. Yeah, ten thousand gold up in the first one, and then they beat them pretty handily in the second one. Yep. Yeah, uh, so. Freak. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it, it is really weird because I know, like, TSM is a team where I was actually going to start asking in the middle of that week, like, okay, at what point do you just stop saying, like, it was on the, it was on the NESS live stream with Sneaky mm-hmm. and, and Media, so it was like, at what point do you stop saying, okay, but TSM's going to make it by the end of the game, right? Because, like, they were coming into the week at, like, four and six, like, mm-hmm. guys, TSM still sucks, and mm-hmm. then they beat like, Fox in front of our eyes, and I'm like, okay, I guess, win. guess turns out you just keep waiting, and TSM shows up by the end of it all. Uh, so, so yeah, like, I have them, like, back in high hopes. I had hundred, I was dumping 100 Thieves stock as well, and then, like, they had a pretty good week. It seems like they're back on on the same page, and, and uh, Afro's running around playing Bard, Thresh, and Blitzcrank in mm-hmm. order, and wins all three games, and I'm like, okay, they figured it out, cool, yep, they're back on, you know, playing well as players, and, and, like a team like Clutch that I was like super high on in the preseason. Mm-hmm. I had them as like number three or four team in the league. I'm like, well, even when you were tied for third at the start of the week and you're still tied for third, it's like, I don't 
believe in you at all anymore and it's like i like i want to like clutch but like it's not clicking so like mm-hmm. they're on the bottom end of that pool for me yeah it's it's really interesting because the 100, 100 thieves stuff while i do think that builds some confidence you know is seeing some really good games from them especially from afro yeah it is also high variance champions right and like even from his own interview you know blitz from behind is, is pretty crap right you lose like they, they have vision of everything their tanks are just walking at you you can't get hooks so it's like the question becomes then: Is this a reliable strategy where they can play playmakers every time and and win off of Afro kind of carrying them, right? Like or mm-hmm. or carrying the the playmaking, if you want to say that, because the Thresh sure. and the Blitz game were incredible um, and super exciting. But can they do that every time? And if they can't, can they do something else? And then for TSM, like they did have a good week. They went 2-0. That's great. But they beat Optic, and then the Echo Fox game was still kind of a, a head scratcher for me because I like <laughs> you want to be like. Wow, they beat the best team in the league. Incredible. That's amazing. They're back. Yeah, because Echo but, Fox runs Fiora Zillion all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, right? Beat the, Brian right. Echo Fox. The Fiora mid Zillion support. Um, you know, yeah, no no right. tanks really, but but even pat like I can look past the draft and more and I just look at the individual play and I'm like, this is just the worst game from Echo Fox this mm-hmm. whole season. Phoenix was actually awful in that mm-hmm. game. Like not even caring about how the pick was. Their early game was actually good. Uh, Dardock had good pathing. They were winning in, like in top lane. Mid lane's getting farmed. Bot lane's not that behind. Even with the zillion thing, like everything seemed like the early game was going pretty well. But I actually just think Phoenix was terrible in that game. He missed time literally every single parry on taunt. He never was able to pressure side lanes. He was never able to be effective in, in team fights. And he is much better than that. He's one of the best yeah. mid laners in the league. Uh, and then it becomes, well, did TS is TSM? Like, are they have they gotten so good that they just made Echo Fox look like this, or did Echo Fox have a bad game? And I I feel like Echo Fox had more of a bad game. Yep. So even though I I feel like TSM will probably still rise, I cannot definitively say TSM is back. Like, I just right. don't know how good they are. Yeah, and I also think that eight point four is a bit of a reset for a lot mm-hmm. of the teams. That's true too. And yeah, I like to do this a lot in analysis of uh, if this is true, what else is true, mm-hmm. and. Uh, based on my best guess of Baron accelerating games and second Elder being a free win if it gets there, uh, what that means to me is early game matters a lot more than it used to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So one thing that I think I can do now, uh, and it's going to be a little bit dictated by the stats because the teams that were playing for late game previously didn't need to have good early games and potentially they were playing the right way and will still be able to play early game. Yeah. But... This means that teams that are good early game are now going to convert a larger percentage of those games to victory. Yeah. So I look at gold at 15 stats. Team Liquid is the best in the league. Team Solo Mid is plus 1,000 gold at 15. Clutch is negative 1,300. And 100 Thieves is negative 411. Mm, yeah. Just based off of that, I think I can say that TSM and Liquid are going to climb to the 3-4 spot and that Clutch and 100 Thieves will probably end up in 5-6. It'll be interesting though, because I'm wonder. I wonder how much those TL stats are biased by early weeks where they were looking way better. Like these last then couple weeks, form. the last couple weeks, yeah. current form have looked like much more of a struggle. So I don't know what their actual gold stats are over, say, the last two weeks mm. in isolation mm-hmm. or something. Because yeah. I do think that plays into it too, as far as like mental state of the team and, and all yep. these sorts of things. But the early game point is really interesting to me. I'm because just kind of thinking which players, which teams have the players that can. Win early, totally. Game. Whether totally. or not they're trying sure. to, like, how can they win early game reliably? Yeah, and and like when yeah, I'm looking should. at that for the patch, I'm looking a lot at, at junglers too, and I was thinking a lot about mm-hmm. what for junglers who 
okay, it's it's a dark world out there now. You don't get to play your like your Zach and kind of comfy like ward, ward everything, just farm up, yeah. right? Who excels in that world? And I'm like, oh god, I don't want to play against Stardock. Like yeah. that's really yeah. scary. <laughs> um, you know what about Lyra, right? Yep. Like can Lyra now go back to to his old form where he's just smashing people on aggressive junglers and and maybe turn around some of Clutch's early game woes? You know can. Uh, Sven's Garen Young or, or Mike Young. Pod, right? Yeah, like, exactly. He show up like to his spring split form, right? Where everyone was super happy about him. And Acadian, right? Like guys like that even. Mm-hmm. So like that, when I look at Mike Young's, like when he, when he had his most success, when um, when Acadian had his most success, mm-hmm. when like a lot of these guys at their best, Sven's Garen as well, when I think of all these guys at their best, they're playing aggressive junglers, they're invading, they're fighting, they're doing all these things. And this is a different style now that, I'm I'm assuming will have to be brought forth with with the loss of Tracker's knife and and some of the changes. So like thinking about which jungles will excel most in that is also really interesting because that can really dictate a team's early game, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's going to be something to take into consideration too. And and looking at it through that lens, you know, clutch maybe they should get like some little extra points there because maybe, Lyra yeah. had been really good, but who knows if he's going to be able to perform in, in that way? Yeah. That, that's what I was going to bring up, uh, you know, right before you. It was just like, because that was that was the struggle of Clutch. Is like they got all these players they really, really, really wanted. They were like, oh, our bot lane's incredible. Febivin's like top five in the world. Mm-hmm. Lyra's like the best NA, you know, mm-hmm. former player, whatever. And then it's like, Lyra's like, yeah, I don't really know what style I want to play because like my team wants me to play tanks and I want to play right. hyper aggro. And that's how it worked when I was back on Envy. And now it's like, well, hope David Lim is like, we're going aggro, boys. We're going 20 minute wins. Mm-hmm. And Hakuo, you're buying Banner of Command. Let's. Play Varus every go. game. Let's go win some League of Legends. And Febvin's like, but I want to play. No, you're <laughs> yeah. gonna win your lane. You need to win Orky, yeah. We're killing Baron, and it's like everyone listen to Lyra. Like and if that's the style, then that team turns around. They look different. Right. And this is this is purely speculative, right? It's all I actually, yeah, I haven't talked to any team scrimming yet. I actually, based on what people are playing in solo queue, uh, aside from I think Echo Fox is gonna do this because randomly Hooney started playing AD Ken in top in a solo queue game. I'm like, mm. why would he be doing this? So we can shove lane, kill a turret, go to Baron, and win the game. That's like, in my head, I'm thinking Banner this. cannon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no. Certainly not. Someone else built the banner. Yeah. But it's it's that kind of strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, the CLG get even worse. Okay, that's oh. the, that's kind of our last topic, actually. So <laughs> right? uh, before we move on, before we move on to CLG being tied for 10, okay. uh, where do you guys, like, just give me your one, two, three, four. Or rather, three, four, five, six. It's it's predictions really, for the end of the split. It's really hard if I if I have like you know like gun to my head and I haven't put much more thought than just what we have on the show. I'd probably go with your current amount of thought TSM, on the show. TL <laughs> clutch hundred thieves. TSM TL clutch hundred thieves freak. Uh, without speculating too much, TL hundred thieves TSM clutch. TL hundred thieves above TSM. We're gonna see liquid verse one hundred thieves later. Um, I'm gonna say. Uh, even though I think there is a, a high likelihood that TSM does make it here based on their schedule and how inconsistent they've been, I still think they're going to drop a few more games kind of inexplicably. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and even though Liquid hasn't looked good, that there's no confidence in a lot of these teams. Based on early game, I think Liquid, uh, TSM, 100 Thieves Clutch. Mm-hmm. I haven't had that much faith in the Clutch team, even though they have won a bunch of late games, and I want to yeah. see if they can transition two over TSM or at least head. make their style work in this new patch. You don't have to play early game to win. You just need to be able to get to a point where you can convert. 
and strength of schedule matters a lot, and that's something I haven't really mm-hmm. super checked out. But right. I mean, yep. TSM True. still plays C9, which is going to be tough. They play TL, so yep. like th- those kind of games are going to be super important for when yeah. you're playing another team that you're competing against for those spots. That can dictate a yeah. lot. They got Echo Fox out of the way, which is something that a lot of these yeah, other teams haven't done yet. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, all right. The other thing I want to point out is Clutch are two zero over TSM and one game ahead. So like TSM has to heavily leapfrog them to they take their spot, but I still think it's going to happen. Win plus two in the next six. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. COG. Uh, the note here is COG are awful and then a yeah. frowny face. Uh, <laughs> yep. I think I it's safe to say at this now. point that COG are probably or in the conversation for a worst team in the league. But, you know, preseason, there were decently high expectations. Number one, number three, number, one, three. number three. Number three, you guys talked about this on NALCS tonight. And yep. It's, yep. it's not so much to say like why we were wrong, but it's kind of saying since they're most likely out of the playoffs, yeah. uh, what do they need to do or change since we're in the franchise world, to come back in summer and compete? I don't know, man. I mean, so it, it's, it was really kind of sad seeing Darshan's interview where he's like, this is the week. We must go 2-0, and then it's an 0-2, yeah. right? And they look they look really rough. And then we were thinking about, I'm thinking about through the lens of, of junglers affecting early game, how important that is, and yeah. like aggressive styles. Mm-hmm. And, and that doesn't seem like Rainover to me at all. Yeah. I still feel like he his success has been on the control and tanky yep. guy. And um, I just think that Right now, things are, are not working at all, mm-hmm. and it, it feels like there are strong some strong individual points. Mm-hmm. I actually think 6A has had a couple good games. Even even the O2 week, I think he actually looked pretty good on both his close to games. Mm-hmm. Um, very clearly, things are not working, and I feel like when you have good players and things are not working, the team just needs to get blown up. I think Rainover needs to go personally, yep. and I think that uh, you go from there. You know, like that that seems like it just needs to happen, though. It doesn't feel like it's working at all. Yeah, and I had a lot of hype around Rainover in the preseason because sure. I thought the game was in a state where the old Rainover should Rainover should have excelled, mm-hmm. and he has been way worse than I anticipated. And it's not just about like oh his pathing was bad. He is just making huge mistakes yep. in the middle of games. Like the most telling one Even was from ahead. was the Zach ultimate where he started channeling it and then he pressed his stopwatch. And then he just didn't jump out of the way and he died in front of three people. Like, And he's done a lot of things like that. It's not mm-hmm. just that one. So mm-hmm. moving back towards uh, like how, you, how do you diagnose, how do you go from here? Right. When I watch that team, I see a huge sense of desperation on all of the players. I see Darshan flashing to hit a last vital on an Orn when the other Orn has a flash up and he has no and he's at over he's half like, HP yeah, exactly. and Darshan doesn't even have a complete item. There's yeah. no way you're killing him. And there's no yeah. way he's killing him, but he thinks this is somehow going to give them an advantage to win. Like right. that's also not a play that I ever see Darshan make in solo queue. Yeah. So why is he doing it on the LCS stage? Mm-hmm. And who he's kind of the same way. Like I've seen him be a, a good player. I've seen him be a mm-hmm. great player, but he's now played 10 champions in 12 games and yeah. hasn't really looked comfortable on any of them. Yeah. And then we see Stixe, who, while he's the only player in the league not to have a killer assist pre-15 minutes, has been doing some big work in team fights, but still then that makes that desperate yeah. play to try and flash forward. So it's like, I, I really do feel like if you actually throw this team into a solo queue environment and you tell them not to talk to each other and all they got <laughs> is smart pings and they're all just playing their game and like not and just doing the thing, I think they're better. Yeah. So... I think, uh, yes, I think Rainover needs to be replaced with a jungler who's not as choky, so to speak, where he's yep. making these huge mechanical mistakes. Um, but more so, I think their mindset needs to shift uh, yep. drastically. 
and they need to stop trying to win the game and just focus on doing what they've right. done for five years. The, the, yeah, the, the thing I would do, like, in terms of, like, what you actually change, I, I agree that I think Rainover needs to go away. And, and I agree on one hand he's not playing very well, but also, like, I'm pretty sure what his budget is is actually outlandish. Like, I'm pretty sure Rainover's making just, like, top 5% of any player in NA, and it's just, like, not worth that. I could be wrong, right? I don't actually know, but that's... Yeah, that's I know he got a huge amount of money last year with Liquid. I have no right. idea what happened this <clears> year. So, you know, maybe season. it went down because he didn't do very well. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, and I think the all, the other big thing is, and this was uh, credit to the CLG subreddit, LOL, um, where they're like, you should get back Afro Moo. It's clear you need to buy him back from the thieves. But it's like, I think they do need someone who is naturally a shot caller. Like, I think the, the willingness and desire to lead a team is, is like, sort of an an intrinsic personality trait that you don't easily teach to people. Right. Like you're going to now coordinate five people who are very good at League of Legends and focus less on your individual play. I don't think you breed that in people, not quickly anyway. Right. And in the preseason, they're like, here's who he the shot caller. And they had like this yeah. darkly lit room with a ring light and like, who he's going to teach everyone how to do. And it's like, I'd say the only player him. that's done that is Aphromoo. Um, back in 2013, he wasn't a shot call. And they're like, you're going to slowly be that. But I agree with you. Like, yeah. what are all the other examples of players that are, trying to pick up shot calling. We've yeah. seen Reckless do it. We've seen Bjergsen do it. It's almost never, smoothie. Smoothie, never worked, smoothie right? is a guy who I, I think is a good example of that, mm. where uh, I think, you know, one of his, he was not one of his strengths, you know, when, mm. when he was first kind of coming into the actual sure. LCS scene. And people talked a lot about him wanting to improve that and having, uh, like, heard him in game. I think he's actually incredible now. And, cool. like, yeah. um, so there, there are examples, but I agree it's hard. And I do still agree that you have to, like, you have to have the personality that perhaps that, that fits it, and yeah. and then maybe you can learn from there, or or maybe it just doesn't fit with some mm -hmm. people or whatever. But regardless of, of what happens, like you know, you talk about the the mental reset kind of thing, mm -hmm. and I think getting a new player does give you that. It yeah. can give you the honeymoon phase. It can give you like uh, you know a reset on on some things because I think CLG clearly is is not a top team, right? Yeah. But do I think? They should be as bad as they as they are doing right now. With no, players, I, I yeah. actually still don't. And I think mm -hmm. it does. It is a lot about like the desperation that you're talking about, right? Like seeing yeah. Darshan so heavily try to get advantages in lane, and like I've seen him do this on Narf so many times, where as soon as he gets Mega, he's like just jumping forward with no vision of the jungler onto them, trying to get these big trades to establish lane dominance, and then the jungler's in the bush and he dies, right? And it's like he he seems he's just better than that from what mm -hmm. I've seen, right? And I, I feel the same about a lot of their players and it's interesting because i i've even started to hear some people like you know really attacking zix and everything and, yeah. and that and 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 who knows right like there are obviously a lot of issues with team and maybe it's ultimately the coach's responsibility to fix that mm -hmm. but but zix has been with clg for so long through a lot of success and they won two championships under zix is he suddenly the worst coach now like did he forget how to do it or yeah. is he unwilling to change players and he got lucky right like at and and there's 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 some like measure of responsibility that has to end at the coach's door. Like you know, you sure, of course, some, of course. Like at the end of the day, you know, you can you can argue whether the coach should be able to. If it's a mental problem, should the coach be able to fix that? Maybe, right? Maybe mm -hmm. like this. The in the ideal world, the coach like you know transcends everything and like it's the perfect players and they're always and he in the right gives them the rousing win. speech and then they're all yeah. good again. But like that probably is not going to happen. And I don't think that this is something where you get rid of Zix. And I, I would think that CLG management would not be as short-sighted to get rid of him when he's been with him for so long and had right. so much success. Mm -hmm. But I do think for sure we're going to see changes. And um, it kind of brings me to to another somewhat tangential point that I'm interested in your guys' thoughts. There's been some talk about with franchising, do you think that creates more or less changes in the offseason? Because there's been a lot of talk about oh, this creates more stability, longer careers and things. And yeah. I do think it creates more stability for the teams, but 
players can still get kicked out. Like just because your team is not going to get kicked out of the league doesn't mean that you keep them. And with yep. Academy, maybe there's more people to pull from. Yeah, I think as a team owner, you are more willing to take a chance on players. Like, like I, I think of, I mean, you're cloud nine. You can have almost any player you want, and and they pull up a rookie a rookie player, right? And it's like, you imagine they could have gone for almost any top player in North America or in Korea or whatever, and it, it feels like they are like, you know what, we're going to place a bet on Sven, so we're going to go for a, a native top laner, or we're not going to try to take Darshan or whatever. We're going we're gonna to pull up a fresh talent from, mm-hmm. you know, a, a team that, you know, a, a challenger team that didn't get picked up, so he's a free agent. Let's grab Licorice, right? Like, and you also that expect that sounds... to be somewhat budget, though? I mean, maybe, right? And, and I don't know, right? So like, what's interesting what's... is Nick Allen had said he was going to do an EMA. Mm-hmm. He's doing it right now. Oh. So it started like Ooh. two hours ago. So we don't, we don't actually have time to read through the AMA uh, and give the responses, but I recommend everyone listening to the dive. If you go to the COG subreddit, he's actually putting in some pretty long responses to a lot of his team's questions. So check that out. And I guess we're done speculating about Fair COG. Enough. There you go. But continue <laughs> along. You know, yeah. So you're um, So, so I, think, I think coming into any given season, I would expect that at almost any given team is willing to take risks, right? Like, um, if if you're in danger of being relegated, mm-hmm. like, do you throw together the Huni Dardock lineup? That's a huge risk. That it's like this is going to be amazing or tenth place, and you're mm. like, oop, out of the else. Right? Like, you don't take that risk. I feel like if you're Rick Fox, and like if you're Cloud Nine, I don't know if you take the risk on Licorice. Like, maybe you do, right? And and they would have mm-hmm. done that no matter what. But like, those are the examples. Or or FlyQuest blows up their entire lineup mm-hmm. and replaces literally every single player, practically, right? And it's right. like. How much, right, like, those are big risks that teams yeah. take because we can wait a split and it's okay. We can wait five splits and it's okay as long as we're building towards success. Um, now, I don't know what that means for iterative play, right? but I can look back and say, well, I, team managers clearly took risks on new lineups at the start. Yeah. And I don't know for sure what it means next. An extreme example of this would be the NBA right now with mm-hmm. tanking. Uh, Ooh, yeah. Yeah, in, for draft picks. In the NBA, they have basically the Golden State Warriors and the Houston Rockets, and everyone thinks those are the only two teams that can win the championship. What about the Raptors, Jet? <laughs> yeah. No one thinks they can actually beat the Rockets the Warriors. I agree with you. The Raptors are the best team in the East. Thank they you. Have thank you. Great regular seasons consistently. Yep. And they still haven't made an Eastern Conference Finals, let alone a Finals where they're just going to get smashed by the West. Right? So if you look at the Vegas odds right now for yeah. like the Raptors' chances, I think they're 20 to 1. Yeah, no, I was mostly just kidding. No, but, but seriously. But also the Raptors. There's two teams out of 30 <laughs> that people think can win the NBA title. So literally every team then is trying to get a long-term strategy of how can we beat the Warriors. Yep. So in the NALCS, it's like... I think teams need to be very frank about this. And there's no tanking for draft picks. We won't have that epidemic. But they need to figure out, can we compete with Echo Fox, C9, and the top teams? And if you can't... How do you get there? How do you start to get there? So now, especially at the end of the split, when you got Golden Guardians at three wins, CLG at three wins... Figure out your long-term strategy and do it right away. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, Optic probably isn't making playoffs. I know they're still pushing for it. They subbed out Zig. They put in Dokla. Mm-hmm. If they think Lemonation is underperforming, sub them out for a few games. See what happens. Yeah. You have months before summer split. Use this time to figure out how you can be good in summer and yeah. stop caring about spring right now. Because even if Optic makes playoffs, there's no way they're winning the split. And that's all that matters, mm-hmm. in my opinion. So I think yeah. teams need to adopt that long-term thinking right now. I think I think it's a really interesting point, and and I do agree uh, for the most part. The only thing I, w- I would say that I think complicates it is if I am C nine and and you know CLG wants to now pilfer my academy team to to try to like start practicing for next split or whatever. 
do I want to sell them the players right now? You know, will I give them those players? Um, yeah. I don't know, right? Like, I don't know if I want to help my competition like that. And and I think that's where it can become complicated if you're dependent upon, you know, some of your competition to yeah. actually improve to, to, to get their academy players. And maybe you can you can make that work. And um, it also adds complications for C9. And then this is just a random example. I'm not actually targeting players. Yeah. You know, if, if the academy players then came up or whatever, then they have to find replacements for their academy players and so on and so mm-hmm. forth, right? So there are some definite complications there. But I do totally agree. If you have your eye on a player and you can get him in now and you are Golden Guardians or CLG with three wins, at this point, you should probably be just trying. This should be your tryouts for a summer, right? Mm, There's no real way to test players despite the fact that, you know, a lot of like Jack and C9 guys have been like, yep, we knew Lickers was going to do this well all along. I Mm. believe that even if you are godlike in scrims and even really good in challenger, it is not the same thing as playing on the LCS stage. It is a different level of pressure. Not all players can adapt. We've seen that uh, with lots of scrim god stuff in the past that has not panned out, right? So I do think you have to get the guy on the stage before you know for sure. You can have a high degree of confidence, but get these guys in if you have a target on someone from from Academy and start playing them on the LCS stage and see how it looks, right? Some people will, will rise to the occasion. Some people will crack under the pressure, and I don't think you know what's what until you've actually had them there. Yep. All right. Move on to Twitter. Yep. Great. As we've now been like, all right, bottom tier NA LCS teams, try new stuff. Yeah. Uh, Nick Stewart asks, we somewhat covered this, what will we see more of in the LCS, new Ludens or new Archangels? Personally, I've been seeing way more Tier Vagar, Goombastom Cassidin, and with the AP changes, we'll be, be seeing more Rumble and Kennen. Uh, cool. I'll jump on that one. Uh, to answer this first mm-hmm. question, I think we will probably see more Ludens. Uh, just going to make a blind guess as one or the other. I mean, I think we're going to see Rise. Because champions are all banned. Right. I mean, Cassie P is in there. Cassidy's in there, right? They're going to be buying that. But I feel like more just going to just go Ludens in general. Uh, I do think that there's better manaless AP items for Rumble and Kennen. Uh, so I think they are, generally speaking, buffed as champions. Uh, so we probably should see more of them. But if Banner of Command is in every game, AP top laners are almost entirely non-viable as a result. Mm. Um, or that's a slight exaggeration, but... Mm-hmm. Um, unless Rumble and Kennen are the lane bullies you need to get 20-minute barons. In which case, then they're the meta. Yeah. And it's hard to project that. Sweet. Uh, unless you have thoughts, I'll move on to the next one, cool. Azale. Uh, Elliot Menge says, with the NALCS continuously growing, what are your thoughts on if it eventually split into two divisions, like the AFC and the NFC in the NFL? Uh, I mean, we, they already did that in Europe, right? Yep. Uh They've done that in other leagues. They're still doing it in the LPL. In the LPL, I was going to say, they do that there, yeah. I personally am not that big of a fan. I I just like seeing the top teams play more times throughout the regular season, you know, if... Because there is a world in which you have you have your multi divisions and you can have cross division play to mm-hmm. kind of somewhat so somewhat work against yeah. that. But I just like seeing the teams competing, and I don't like having the extra dimension of like trying to to power rank these teams when they have different competition and everything. I think that makes it even more difficult. Um, so I like a just as an analyst seeing everyone play the same teams, and b yeah, I think it's more exciting. One thing that I will say, and I I, I generally think without geolocating teams and the fact everyone plays in NA and the mm-hmm. fact that people mostly follow players over the teams that is mostly uh, useless for esports. But I do like, at least when I'm watching football, the growth of divisional rivalry over the years. And 
if you have consistent divisions, you can do this. Mm-hmm. And EULCS had inconsistent divisions where they were drafting fresh every single split. So, for instance, if TSM and COG is a huge rivalry and they're in the same division, you're guaranteed going to see them more playing each other than you are other teams. And if you can build more of those rivalries over time, that's the one upside I would see to it. But I just don't think it's worth the upfront cost right now. And because those rivalries aren't necessarily developed, I don't see it happening. And one of the downsides of long-term divisions, you know, as, as someone who grew up as a Blue Jays fan, right, you have the AL East in baseball, which was, you know, at one point ESPN said the hardest division yeah. in all of sports. Yankees, not just, Red Sox. It's the Yankees, Red Sox, Orioles, Rays, and, and you know, and the Blue Jays, right? Yep. And it's like all these teams had like triple the salary cap and, you know, it feels so bad to be playing against these teams that are just like bigger market teams yep. and knowing that they're just going to spend three times as much money as you and you're always going to lose. So it's like, yeah. you know, you imagine the world in which the like the West NALCS is is Echo Fox, TSM, C9, Liquid, and FlyQuest or yeah. whatever, right? And as FlyQuest, you're like, ooh, that feels bad. Yeah. Yeah. Also, uh, shout out to David Petrilli, who asked us essentially about franchising and long-term growth in rookies, which is what we talked about. And then also to Scatty Cake or Michael Doyle, who asked us if CLG has a chance with this roster. I think they do have a chance with this roster, but we kind of already discussed yeah, we that. Like exactly those questions. Yeah. So very last question for this episode at Paolo Anona's. I cannot pronounce that right. I think I, you I nailed it. In advanced. At Peoros. Yeah, forget it. Is there any specific reason more regions don't imitate China's play style? Uh, and I think the example of this is prior to this patch, most regions were averaging 39-minute games. China was averaging 33-minute games consistently with yeah. a much higher volume of games. So why are more teams not like the LPL? I think, I think it's, it's one of those things where... So my impression is that people, like, there's a massive player base in China. I yep. think that is the biggest thing. And as, as created in StarCraft, China in League... They look for the people with the best possible mechanics, and you go from there. It's one of those things where it's like, you don't know how to move around the map, but you move your character really, really good. You're so fast. Mm-hmm. I will teach you the rest, right? And I think when you have a league of these, like, superhumans that are all incredible mechanics, um, the like, you can play these these styles more mm-hmm. consistently, and, and the players just are more, like, they want to play those styles more because that's mm-hmm. how, how they kind of got into pro in the first place. Yeah. It's also a coaching thing, but I just think that it's, like, Unless your league is is like built with that in mind, it's it's hard to emulate that style because you're essentially fifty fifty-ing these games mm, all, sure. almost all the time off like ten man in the bot lane at four minutes. Well, I guess someone is gonna win, right? And and unless you have supreme confidence in your mechanics and, and your team fighting, like every single time that you're willing to play play these risky styles, like unless yeah. you're an Uzi. I don't think you can really always succeed in, in those environments. Uh, the, the point I want to bring up is, is I think, so uh, I agree somewhat with what you're saying. Uh, I think that proper play should be somewhat risky. Mm-hmm. Like, you're going to have to take some 80-20s, and you might lose the game off that, but 80% of the time you're right, and that's better than your win right in the LCS, so you should have been making the play the whole time. Um, which, so basically, I think it, it's, so I think risky play should be allowable and, and should be good and is good even for a very good team. And I think a little bit of it is cultural, where uh, North American scene and the European scene for basically ever have always looked up to Korea specifically, right? From 2013 onwards, since LCS ever existed, Korea is the best, Korea is the best, we're going to follow SKT, we're going to follow Samsung, we're going to play like Korea, we're going to play like Korea. Trying to exist, but we're going to play like Korea, right? We're going to copy SKT, we're going to copy KT Rolls, so we're going to do that stuff the whole Maybe time. the slowest region. Right. And so all the coaches are emulating that. And it, and it feels like the way people are trying to improve is eliminating mistakes. It's not, ooh, what can we learn to do better? I mean, there's some of that, obviously, where do we put our awards, what champions mm-hmm. do we pick, whatever. But it's like, oh, you shouldn't have done that. 
let's make sure we don't make those mistakes anymore. And it's removing pieces from your play style, removing these mistakes, removing these actions, and being more and more passive and more and more calculating, more and more safe. And, and think about the coaches they're bringing over. We're not bringing over any Chinese coaches. We're not bringing over any Chinese players, LMQ notwithstanding. We're bringing over Rapid Star. Yes, he spent some time in China. I understand that, right? But we're yeah. bringing over all these ex-Korean pros, all these ex-Korean players, all these ex-Korean coaches. And it's like, we're just, it's, it's the NALCK is, is, is like half of the, the informative staff here, right? And uh, China, yes, imports some, but like there's actually more and more like Chinese heavy rosters. And a lot of mm -hmm. the coaches are just Chinese and, and they're not taking the Korean style as much. I'm sure there's some degree of it. Yeah. And like we've had like old EDG, which was like the most Korean Chinese team we've ever had when they had mm -hmm. the most Korean players and coaches that they've ever had, right? Like, it, but it shows if you like track where the players are coming from, where the coaches are coming from, that they start playing like the style of player they're taking. Um, and so some of that is NA copies Korea a lot and Korea seems to want to play slowly. Yeah. And I know Korea has tried to, co or China's tried to copy Korea a lot in the past, especially sure. when they imported like all of Samsung mm -hmm. from China. Uh, but even just the aspirational path to being a pro is different yep. in the LPL than mm. in other regions. It's like, mm. I need to be able to play the macro style. No, I just actually need to be able to make the highlight play because our millions of fans respond to that and it's so much more powerful than that. Plus, uh, from a philosophical perspective, I just think it's different. Like, Korea plays to eliminate mistakes. China plays to force mistakes. Yeah. Uh, and... I think that's way cooler. I agree. personally, and that's what I meant about like your playstyle can be risky. Like I don't mm -hmm. think it's wrong to approach the game the way the LPL is. Just Koreans have have won more, and maybe yep. that means actually their style is better, and and that may very well be true. But like I said, you can make aggressive plays that are the correct play that the internet will flame you for if you fail, but mm -hmm. looks really cool when you succeed. It's it's also tough because you know looking at NALCS perspective, like the player base in NA is is a tiny a fraction, fraction of what oh. it is in China, oh, right? Yeah. So as as far as importing players, and as far as you know EU importing Koreans and any importing Koreans and this and that it's like well you kind of have to because there's not there's like or at sure. least that has been the logic now and, and maybe that's maybe theoretically could change with the academy and, and things being built up better but mm -hmm. there's just such a huge pool of players to pull from in China that mm -hmm. are that are these solo queue superstars and that's almost all how they get picked up right it's it really is it, it feels a lot like Starcraft 2 in Korea where they would get guys who didn't know any build orders who didn't know like really anything going on but they had yeah. insane APM and the coaches were like well it doesn't matter if they don't know the build order I'll tell it to them right yeah. like and they will do like great you th you thought of all these strategies I didn't but I can do it faster so now Jat tells me what to do and I just do your strategy yep. better than you and that totally. to me feels like Chinese League of Legends so last thing and I know this is maybe a topic for like a different episode I have also heard that players have a ton of power in the LPL. Mm. Like, we say that NA has a problem with players not listening to coaches. I think that's actually an extreme in the LPL. So maybe the reason they're playing Bloodthirsty is because they <laughs> want to, and that the coaches can't control them. If they're, well, I guess you're just going to fight then, so we're doing it. Coach is like, yeah, okay, so you're going to play it slow, ward up around Vision. Yeah. Uh, Uzi will play Callista. And Uzi's he like, Instalox no. Vein. Yeah, 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 yeah. Kind of. like, <laughs> like five-man bot. <laughs> uh, that's potentially the other side of it. We just have like course, this theory, but okay. the coaches just don't have any power. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of The Drive. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, remember, you can Thank send you your question me. in. Thank you tweet, for having me. Right chat, right Kobe, right Azale, or right Freak. He'll read it. I will. Uh, use the hashtag The Dive LOL. He'll probably even respond to some Ooh, will on you? Twitter. Yeah. He will. Uh, we'll be back next Wednesday, but until then, make sure to tune in to the NALCS this weekend. NALCS countdown starts at 1.30 p.m. Pacific time. Also, Team Liquid and 100 Thieves battle for third. It's going to be hype. See you then. Bye.